0: Welcome again to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers, and I'm here to talk to you today about the regenerative economy. This is the economy that doesn't really exist yet. There are examples that, of people that are doing this with their business, but it doesn't exist as a recognized market, as a movement. The regenerative economy is an economy that as it makes money and generates value and supports people, makes the environment better improves soil, you know, grows forests, supports you know, ethical livelihoods for people as it does it at the same time. These kind of companies, the regenerative economy would support are companies like Guayaki. They are restoring the rainforest with their company. They're an amazing, amazing example. They've even coined the term uh, market-driven restoration and that's what they do. It's an amazing company, I love them. And I'm not just saying that because they've been providing guayaki to me for many years, which they have been. Uh, I really love them. I, you know, the crazy thing is, guys, I was a musician and they sponsored me along with coconut water companies and string companies and all this different jazz. And then I found permaculture actually later on. But it really goes to show that I've been valuing people who are part of the regenerative economy before I even knew what permaculture was. And I think many of you have, too. People are just stumbling upon the word permaculture, don't even know what it is. They see what the people are doing involved in, and they're like, wow, this is cool. This is what I'm doing. And of course, right? Permaculture is just the lens through which we try to see the world and our problems to act more like nature. And that's it. You know, be more natural, right? Boom. Easy all these different sorts of movements, all these sorts of companies, they're all trying to do it. There are a few that have actually mastered it. I would say Guayaki is probably the closest. They focus on the carbon footprint of the individual packaging and individual operation. Like, it needs a forest to grow in. And it's a vine, so you need perennials, trees. You you know, it's amazing. So we need to think creatively like this more and my guest today is talking to me about that. Jeremy Kaufman of Propagate Ventures is focused on connecting people with land regenerators, with people that are doing things like creating chestnut um, farms, creating you know hazelnut farms, creating stable agricultural perennial inputs and outputs so that we have systems that rely upon stable ecologies. And it builds soil, it traps, it, you it know, sequesters, it cleans, it does all these different things when you're growing in a forest. You can also use it to raise animals and whatnot. So the, 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 the possibilities are really infinite. you probably heard about a lot of these businesses on one of these podcasts out there that inspires me, my friend Diego Footer's podcast, Funny, he's in San Diego, and now I'm in San Diego. I went to Permaculture Voices twice. That guy Diego has inspired me so much. Permaculture Voices, don't miss that. So there's a lot of examples in there. So now, I always like to go deeper, right? That's the whole thing with me. Um, And a lot of our guests are the same. Uh, Diego and I have a lot of the same friends. Um, And if you look at my references list, many of the people on my references were people who were speakers. Permaculture voices. So the end all be all though is that we need to figure out how to connect that audience that's out there not doesn't know what the word permaculture is. We need to connect their, their money, their investments, whether it's 401k, Roth IRA, it doesn't matter. Um, we're, not, we're not getting that specific right now. What, what we're trying to do is to think about how we're going to connect that, that market to people who are flipping land regeneratively. People are doing it. People are making money doing this. Um, There are people that are are trying to set up diverse kinds of operations. People who are grazing, holistic managed. People are doing honey um, on on land. People are doing mead uh, with that honey. There's all these different possible stacking operations that can happen on a one piece of land. There's a lot of interesting things that are happening. But Jeremy and I today, we're talking just about. And how are we going to connect? What's what's going on? Where where are we at in this process? Because the reality is people want to get involved on our side that already know about it. But we need it to be a little bit more traditional. um, Really to get our banks involved. Really to get people to invest um, along with us. Really to even get behind of it, some of us. You know, we need to be a little bit traditional. And the funny thing about that is is that's exactly what the traditionalists need to dive in is they need it to be a little bit more traditional. So <laughs> what we need to do is kind of like meet in the middle. So um, I have, I'm from Connecticut. I've got all these friends that went into business. I was so turned off by that as a kid. But all my friends who I grew up with are all doing that. And they see what I'm doing. They're like, wow, math is cool. Well, there's got to be a middle ground. We got to figure this out because they think it's cool. They're making money with business. They could flip and create a new market. And so let's dive into the conversation now that you know where we're coming from. Uh, Jeremy Kaufman, here we go. Doing the thing that everyone online jumped on me for saying is possible. I I basically said, you know, guys, we should invest in the the landscape and regeneration and flipping land and getting actual, like 401ks, actual middle-class investors, people with retirement funds to invest in land regeneration and cause, you know, a speculation craze if possible, which causes a huge like revolution in land flipping, which causes a huge amount of carbon sequestration, um, a huge amount of uh, habitat restoration, all these wonderful stacked functions. Um, I I, I'm re- I really want, want to happen and everything, but, but a lot of people don't even realize that they're actually possible. They don't realize what we can build and so people don't believe it's real. And, and you, after all these comments of, blah, 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 it's real, it's not real, it's possible. All these people all over the map, like freaking out. You're like calmly, yeah, we're doing that. Check out my link. And so I was very impressed with that. And I, I've looked over your materials. I studied them, I'm ready to talk about them. So why don't you introduce yourself and kind of give me and our audience what you would say to someone who is an investor, who is you know a person that has a you know a four hundred one k that's you know interested in investing more, and they're just traditional and they they're not a permie, they don't know anything about that, but this is a real audience, is what you and I really are after. Um, what do you what do you say to them?
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a great place to start. Um, before before I kind of talk about the. Um, kind of the pitch to an investor, um, I think it's important to, to kind of take note that this problem is a really hard problem to solve. Um, because a lot of the, the reason that it's so difficult to solve has to do with the incentive structures that we built up mm-hmm. around um, our economy. From, and and the, the way in which it's implemented on the ground level um, often has a lot of complexity to it. Um, It's a multi-stakeholder problem um, where you're looking at interacting between landowners and farmers and uh, investors or or even potentially buyers and and people who are wanting to buy product off the land and um, trying to work out the dynamics between all those stakeholders is a very difficult problem to solve when trying to bring uh, regenerative practices on the ground level. To, the, to a, a larger uh, land base.
0: Um,
1: and that's because so, those systems embrace complexity so
0: and bring in a, a certain degree of wildness that those uniform systems, which are calculable and predictable, don't have.
1: Right, when you look at them in silos, um, they're a little bit more calculable, um, you can, but oftentimes when you try to apply it to a regenerative mindset, the, they become only a piece of the puzzle um, and it, it oftentimes you have to kind of change an entrenched mindset uh, to get it to a to a place where it really is able to scale um, or or be integrated fully into uh, uh, that person's mindset. So when talking to say an investor who has a four hundred one k who is not really very um, akin to regenerative land practices, there's a lot of education involved first and foremost. So talking of talking about soil, talking about uh, what happens to soil over time, given different practices in the landscape, um, and talking about how the land value actually increases over time if soil over time uh, actually increases in its amount of uh, bi- de- biomass, right? So if you're able to increase the amount of arable land in, in a given landscape, um, it increases the land value from a farming perspective. Um, but I think oftentimes where, where, where there's a gap for an investor is that there's there's an operational gap and that an investor might be able to rationally get their mind around land value. Um, but most of the time land and the speculation around land prices is less attractive to most investors. They're looking for some level of operational profit. So they're looking at on the ground, is is this gonna be operationally profitable for me, where I can draw a dividend from this year, year over year. Um, so that's one of the biggest challenges for us is that, um, the, where the rubber meets the road is, are we able to deliver operational capacity that can actually deliver a dividend year over year for an investor? Um, and it's going to look more often, uh, oftentimes the investor who's looking at, say, like a Roth IRA, for example, um, it's going to look more like something of a three of a, a to five percent yield um, for them. In, right. Then it is then it is going to look like a technology investment, which is like fifteen to thirty percent, where they're looking at kind of big numbers uh, to to double their money, triple their well, money, whatever
0: it is. I would I would say though that if you're investing, all right. So if all this you know really messed up land and desertified land, so you know stuff that's been just beaten to death by agriculture or grazing, stuff that's gullied out, stuff you know if we actually are using large teams of people to flip it in short periods of time, we could, we, we could really see a, a market there, but we need to skill up for it is the problem. And so what, what, what essentially your business does is provide the bridge to that, that new economy,
1: right? Right, what we're, what we're really good at um, as an organization is we're really good at risk assessment um, and being able to actually see if the project's viable, fi- both financially um, and, where- and to be able to assess fully where the risks are. So pointing out where the speculative activities are, where our assumptions actually lie and being very for- 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 at the forefront with our investors showing-, showing, okay, this is what we know and this is what we don't know um, and what we, for what we don't know here are assumptions that we're saying are pretty good or mediocre at best. So really, we're, we're, what we're trying to do is go get deep on the project level um, and do, to do an assessment on a financial viability study. Um, and be able to then bring it to investors to say, okay, this project's a good project, this project's mediocre. Um, but ultimately across all the different project types that we see from a land lease herd expansion through to a, a landowner wanting to build some sort of um, orchard on his property uh, through to um, a some sort of small business uh, that's trying to build a, a nursery, um, Whatever it is, um, our, our goal is to, to be able to quickly assess the risk and say, okay, this is a viable project um, for an investor that can actually make a return in a, in a period of time that's, that meets their expectations. Um, the Being able to go into the landscape and, and kind of create a standardized model of land flipping is very difficult because for an, an investor, there isn't a lot of certainty. There's um, there's a lot of vision, um, and there's a lot of uh, potential for a hi- for a for a high return, um, but the certainty of that return is, is a high risk investment for them, because the level the level of trust in the assumptions are are not necessarily as solid, specifically because it's such a new field too. I mean, regenerating regener- land re- degradation is not necessarily as new, but land regeneration is definitely a lot more new. Um, and that's where we kind of bridge. There's also other stakeholders of working with public partnership to kind of bring in uh, some some public dollars to be able to actually make land regeneration possible. And leasing um, public land to do this. I mean, the
0: reality is public land has been leased for crimes against nature and Absolutely. humanity. And so now we need to reverse that trend and instead be like, yeah, this is our land. Let's go take care of it. And um, make it so that it, it, it creates jobs, make it so that it creates uh, habitat, so that it creates um, economic and environmental growth. So, we have to do that in order to actually get people to care about the landscape to a degree. Sure.
1: So, yeah, I think, I, I, ultimately, I think the, the, the difficult thing for most people going back, getting back to the land and having a land based income is a certain level of market certainty. Um, you can go to IBM and you can, you can be guaranteed that you're going to make $40,000 to $100,000 a year, and you can live your life that way. Um, there really isn't an equivalent of that for a land-based e- economy, um, except for maybe some examples of, that have very small... Um, the, the only other example of that really is in an industrial farming system, um, where you have kind of market certainty of a market buyer that's, that is there every time that you, that you want to sell your product.
0: Right. Um, Everything else is going to be at best quantitatively reasoned, like Joel Saladin's system, which is impressive. I mean, he literally is running metrics constantly, but it's, and it's, and it is, you know, he uses some hard metrics in it, but a lot of it is just quantitative reasoning uh, with um, guesstimation here and there. Uh, And that helps, you know what I mean? He knows what's going to happen, he knows how to handle his herd, and that's part of, you know, holistic management and all. Yeah. But it is. I don't think it's ever going to be... Like, this is the issue. I don't think the complexity is ever going to be simple enough to really fit into the current paradigms of assessment and anal- and, and, and analysis. So what we need to do is adapt our economic systems to be m- more comfortable with more complexity which you know which it already kind of is complex but if we link it to the complexity of nature it becomes predictable complexity and it becomes more stable complexity
1: so the interesting thing part about this is i think the 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 mind the the more of the traditional mindset can get their mind around a multi-species system. They, it's not too complex um, for them to get their mind around. Just when when you start stacking, say, five different enterprises on a piece of land, it starts to get pretty complex for them. Um, if you start to, if you're talking about two enterprises, um, then it becomes a little bit more simple. Well, um, and I think yeah, like, I agree. Or, you
0: know, but you know, there are examples. Like for instance, the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They own this farm in Florida where they're literally running the cattle through their orchards. They're they're, they're they're like doing so many different things all at the same time, and at the same time they're doing land regeneration and they're protecting like you know endangered habitat and stuff. Uh, so there are examples of really conservative people who are who are doing it. So we just gotta like connect those investors to the story, and 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 the problem is the example I gave. Um, they may be conservative but they're they're um like a nonprofit organization so they have this certain amount of freedom um to use their money uh there's not that pressure
1: uh, yeah and that's a lot of what one of the things that we're, we work on and um kind of is, is is part of what we call a capital stack um is philanthropic capital and it's a really good way of bridging some of the short-term gaps um in mindset and, and changing mindsets um being able to kind of utilize um, the philanthropic mindset um, to actually propel some a, a good chunk of capital um, toward projects and making them vi- viable um, is a really important part of the puzzle. So,
0: do you guys do you guys have a project that you're working on right now? What stages are you at? I I, I feel like it, it it is there's all these pieces around. There's people who have privately done it. Businesses that have done it, nonprofits that have done it, but there's no market. And that's what we really need to do. We need and so you guys are, it sounds like you're not like a hedge fund, but you're like a hedge fund house where you're a group of people that facilitate investment into a new market. And we need more of these investment firms or groups or facilitators, whatever you know, vocabulary you want to use, but we we need more of your groups. So what's next to facilitate that?
1: Yeah, so we have a few pilot projects that are, that are coming up this um, this year. Um, we we were only we only started in October of last year. Wow. that was kind okay. of our inception. Um, and and a lot of the last six to eight months was a lot of thesis research, um, and being able to kind of nail down our strategy, um, and be able to actually justify some of the assumptions that we had. Um, so we're we're launching with a few pilot projects this. Um, is coming fall. I, unfortunately, I can't speak to them specifically because there's a little bit of contractual stuff going on there that uh, unfortunately keeps me from being able to speak directly to a specific project. Very, very um, normal. Very normal. But the, the, the projects are um, in, uh, in Wisconsin, in the Driftless, Driftless area, and in, in the Hudson Valley area. Oh, um, beautiful. And we have a few projects that have, are kind of dwindling in and around oh. Iowa, um, in and around the, the Corn Belt there, um, but we're we're kind of, um, I would say, nor- Northeast to Midwest is kind of our range where we're focusing on primarily sourcing a lot of the new projects that, that are coming in. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're totally right in that there isn't a market, and we're trying to build the bridge to create the market. Um, Beautiful. and the the a lot of I, and you said it beautifully a lot of that has to do with telling the story, um, exposing the opportunities and as opportunities um, and not necessarily just as risks, um, and a lot of it is bringing to the faces of the people who are doing the work to 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 the people who have the, the financial backing and bringing the people who have the financial backing to the farm. Um, the um, is actually I'll quote. Um, Ethan Rowland out of uh, TGI on this. The, the the most amount of success you'll get is when you actually bring people to the farm to make the decisions for themselves and see see the difference. Um, and that's a big part of the component. I think a lot of the time, the people who have financial um, a lot of financial wealth. Um, are very far removed from regeneration because they live in cities, their entire social circles are outside of, and they don't really need to get involved in it. So when you bring them to show them in person, to touch, feel, uh, taste the difference, it, it changes a lot of it. Um, and this, this is, um, jo- Joel, Joel knows this very well um, down in Virginia. Wow.
0: So what? So, do you know of any other groups that are doing this too? I mean, I know of, like I said, individuals, but groups that are facilitators like yourself that are doing this. Yeah. So I'm talking yeah. to people that want to so, start these.
1: Yeah. So, so there's 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 groups that are out there that are similar, um, that that are a lot, that are more large scale management companies and are doing what I would call better than other uh, than than the current standard. So. Companies like Farmland LP, Iroquois Valley, mm-hmm. ag, ag Cat Management are kind of the, the, the players in a certain level of scale of organic agriculture um, that are doing it in a little bit of a different way than uh, traditional mindsets. Right. Um, unfortunately, there is very few market makers in regeneration currently, and um, I, I think the because it's such a young space, um, we're we're kind of the, in a lot of ways, the pioneer species, and that um, there there's there's still a lot to be figured out. Um, I think there's there's been a lot of work that our work has been kind of based off of, which um, maybe maybe we're not the pioneer species. Um, maybe more more of a, the folk who are out there who have been doing the work for a very long time are the pioneer species. People like Mark Shepard in Wisconsin, or people like Tom Wall in Iowa, um, who have been kind of, or, or Route 9 Chestnut Cooperative in, in, um, in Ohio. There's, there's all these kind of groups in, of, of people who are in their, in their older age who have been doing it for a really long time on the ground, proving, showing, experimenting, um, that are really the, kind of the people who we lean on um, to kind of showcase uh, okay, what, what's working, what's not, and how can we draw from those assumptions to make, create a system that's that's attractive to an investor, not just um, uh, a beautiful, not, not only just a beautiful ecological landscape, but also a beautiful financial landscape. So um, something occurs to me, um,
0: something occurs to me, we may have to shrink the market in a way and make it local, but make it, a, it might make it a more vibrant market, it would also lower the um, bar to entry. But because Joel Saladin's getting to sequester carbon um, at a different rate because of his style or his experience or his individual skill than that new farmer over there who's doing the same exact same thing. He has all the same exact beef cattle. He's got the same, you know, tractor. He's got everything the same as Joel. But Joel just has that experience. And so it's the same problem with this whole carbon sequestration numbers thing one mm-hmm. farmer is doing the same practices but because he's better at it you know he can do do more so that I, I don't think that's ever going to be cleared up i think we might have like the equivalent of like baseball leagues or something
1: yeah <laughs> um, no I, I think you're totally right and, 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 and it's, it's all going to be localized yeah in local now. teams um mm-hmm. Uh, the, we look at um, the Cap- Capital Institute, John Fullerton, and the way in which they've—they're they, kind of what I would call the, the first players in in really working at, at investing on a local level in a regenerative fashion. Um, they work closely with the Savory Institute, and um, it's really interesting to see how they've they've played and um, really what they're looking at is bioregional regeneration. Um, at the ground level and and looking toward the the business opportunities that will create high quality yield, but also restoration in the in the human landscape um, and in in the cultural landscape. Absolutely. So um, have you have you talked to any like legislators at all or like lawmakers or? Yeah, we're we're in a few groups of advisors and uh, kind of um, labs of sorts that that have those pe- people with those that experience in um, in those groups. We don't necessarily play in that world as much, um, but there's a lot of obviously, as you know, a lot of legislation that needs to be changed to kind of account for uh, a multi-species regenerative system, um, and so. We as we 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 don't play in that, that world as, as much. It's definitely as we start to grow, it'll be it'll not it'll knock on our door whether we like it or not.
0: Yep, yep, it, it, it certainly will. Um, and you know, it, don't be afraid of them. Invite them over to the farm and mm-hmm. uh, feed them, you know, some farm food, and then they'll love you forever. <laughs> yeah. So um, so okay, great. So this is, this is awesome. But so what are the next five years like? Because the that's, next five years are the most critical, you know, time period in the the world's history.
1: Yeah, that's that's a, an excellent question. I think um, if all if we're wildly successful, um, and we can take both we can take both viewpoints. If the if we're wildly successful, if we're just me medi- just kind of stay the mediocre like middle path, or where um, we fail miserably. Um, if we're wildly successful. I think we're looking at you know, the biggest success metric that we're looking at is growth of rural-based incomes, um, farm-based incomes. Um, if if we can if we can regenerate the landscape without regenerating the 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 incomes that are flowing to the landscape, um, where it's not going to be uh, the regeneration that we want um, as a people. Yeah. Um, so that's a super important metric for us. So if we're able to Grow rural-based incomes that are that are g- good jobs for people, and we actually increase the flow of people who are moving from the cities through to rural landscapes. Um, and continuing rural retention um, is is super important. Um, now, I mean, it I would think-
0: simulate it would simulate depopulation, is what it would do. It would simulate it, and not only that, it would increase the amount of food we could create. It would increase the amount of ecological stability would clean the water, clean the air. It would do a lot of things that are hard to calculate, but people are getting better at calculating things. I mean, did you see that uh that headline uh where they're saying 26 million trees are going to die, which equates to 100,000
1: people or so? Or, or... I didn't I, I didn't see that headline though.
0: No. Yeah, there's uh, in Southern California. Let me see. if I can look this up. In Southern California, there's, uh, it was Zen who tagged me in this. Um, so yeah, so Southern California, they're losing, um, m- millions of trees. And they figured out that trees equate to lives. Yeah, all the trees will die and then so will you. It's Wired.com that's saying this. This is not like... You know, this is something that's on shelves, you know what I mean, that people, and it's all Southern California, and it has to do with statistics, like we're talking about. So they're getting to the point where they're realizing, they're being able to see the numbers, Um, someone's funding the research for these people to sit around and and calculate this. And then someone's paying for those writers to, to write that article and publish it, and someone paying to print that and you know what I mean? ship it out to all those things. So there is already investment in the holistic under the, like spreading the holistic understanding. Now Absolutely.
1: the next step is holistic integration. And that's the, that's the difficult piece. I think the, um, there's a lot of really good marketers out there, mm-hmm. um, that are, that are looking to this, um, co- broader holistic concept, Um, as a a way of engaging with the broader audience where they're at, because the general interest level is there in the population. Um, I think the the tricky part really is the level of investment to be able to actually move the needle on the land is so large comparatively to say, the level of investment of hiring a writer in in Los Angeles.
0: Well, Um, the flip side is this. It's six to nine thousand dollars per child per year in public school. If we just took you know 10% of that and invested it into let's say seeds or or trees, or Mm. you know what I mean? Um, And then each one of those, every child in America was part of a program that 10% of their day, every single day, was spent. You know what I mean? Earth tithe or whatever you want to call it. But, like, we go and we plant trees every day. And we, you know what I mean? And and we regenerate our landscape. And then, like, we provide those trees to the local local town. And then the local town provides jobs for the local youth because there's no jobs for local youth any longer to go plant those trees and to create water retention sites. And then, you know what I mean? Like, we actually do have the resources. We just have to turn our blast on and we have our blast on it's just our blast is on ourselves and what we're blasting ourselves is with entertainment and um empty consumption
1: so yeah we have to be a little careful in in in, in how we kind of frame this too, because there's there's a, there's a public work side of it that's absolutely there, um, and it and I think is although probably a little slower moving has a lot of potential to restore a lot of landscape. Um, but the private sector looks at this entirely different area. Right. right. Um, you know, they look at it as an economic opportunity, and and if. If the pieces aren't in place to show the, the pieces aren't in place to showcase that there's a they can actually be a return in that regeneration, not necessarily. Maybe I wouldn't. I wouldn't even. I would. Land flipping is something that I would say is a, a little bit tough for most investors because it doesn't create an operational uh, mindset. Meaning, you can sell a piece of land that has a whole bunch of fr- uh, fruit trees and uh, has a nut nut uh, grove and um, the next day, if you sell that land for an increased asset value, someone could knock it down and, and grow corn on it, right? And, um, the, the, and that's, the, tr- and that's a, the tricky part about land speculation. If you can't tie that land up in long-term regenerative practices of the infrastructure that you're putting in place, then the the private sector is not going to see the long-term viability of the business um, beyond maybe a a land kind of a land-flipping model where you're kind of building these kind of like speculative humps Um, so
0: that's what what, all right so I came up with this idea talking to um, mead folks about about like how to gain access to more honey because the reality Mm. is there's just not enough good clean honey right and so I was talking about, you know, ways that we could involve investors. And it's like the crazy thing is to get something from mess like a mess to or degraded or desertified to able to support bees is not far. And so the idea of having need investment so they're getting the best meat off that land. They're, they, they, they've they got the best honey coming off of it. It only happened in three years. You know what I mean? We could actually have teams of people that, that are going for the earthworks in only one session. Right? And then we have uh, people who are the first year gardeners. And then we have the caretakers that are the beekeepers that are the people who extract the honey, that the people that are the ecologists that maintain the site um, and record all the data, uh, the, the soil carbon levels, the biodiversity levels, the um, the uh, concentrations of the toxins in the honey and in the prosopolis and in the, in the, the wax. You know, all this stuff um, I had written in such a way so that like you would invest in the land as an investor. You would buy a share of that that landscape and so that that broken landscape would suddenly be this productive landscape and i guess you could have a portion of the company too and the operation so that it goes into that mindset i hadn't thought about that because um, i'm not <laughs> i'm not an investor i'm a writer um and uh and then so i was like all right well then they would be able to invest in that and then their investment will be linked to this land and what happens with landscapes and you probably know this is carbon sequestration slows down after there's a stability that ha- occurs and it continues to complex and you know gather soil carbon uh biodiversity continues to increase but it's slower so there's this explosion this rocketing explosion and then it starts to to become stable, and then that's like uh, like a bond or something. It's like a stable thing. It's not as much of a like a growth thing. And then everyone's like, okay, now I'm gonna sell those shares because you know they're they're not. You know what I mean? They've matured, um, and then they're gonna buy more land, and then we'll, uh, at a, you know I mean, at a cheap price, and then it goes up in price. And so it links it to the actual value of the landscape, which is real and accepted. Um, but then the what you said about the operational um, component really makes that uh, a limited attraction for those like of the, the group that you're talking about
1: yeah i think so so there's a few there's a few really important kind of buckets that you're kind of putting that that you're you're arranging um, and they're both necessary i think the and this is the the when when risk analysis becomes really important who owns what um, and um, who, who makes money when. Um, right, right. And there's a so, bunch of different
0: ways that could work out, too. So there's these things called mead clubs, right? They're, they work a little bit like wine clubs. So a meadery is like a, <laughs> like a company that makes mead. And some of them have mead clubs. Some mead clubs are independent of meaderies. Um, some mead clubs buy and get and get direct shipments from meteries and then they're you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um some meteries have bars all these different things exist some people partner with landscapes to get access to the honey some people buy honey directly from honey providers it's all over the map so what could happen is a lot of different things could happen because you have all these different roles you have the regenerative team that's going in and changing things. You have the maintenance the caretaking team. You have, and all these different hats could be worn by different people. The Mead club could be an all-in-one. They could own the landscape, they could, you know, and it could be boutique. I mean, I could see that happening in Sonoma County easily. (laughs) Um, um, Where you have someone who just already has um, 100 acres, 200 acres. Um, and they have a small meatery, and it's it, or and it's a little part of uh, a meat club that meets, you know, once a month or something. You know what I mean?
1: So, the, so this is, man, this is the interesting thing is, uh, you kind of have these these, the these, two problems, and and that you have kind of the local the bioregional local, uh, problem where you have you there's a desperate need for economic investment in oh, yeah. bioregional bio regeneration, right? And um, being able to build the small businesses that will kind of stem out of the landscape there is super important. But I think one of the, and, and equally as important one is uh, the general consumer markets and, and, talking, and talking to large brands that have, that produce millions of products um, every single day, and they're distributed across large landscapes. And the, ultimately, the, the farmland, the percentage of farmland that comes, the, the food that goes to a lot of these product sets that are uh, non regenerative product sets. So you can think of a Cheerios being from going from, from being using just GMO or uh, genetically altered wheat through to Kernza, right? And, and how do you make that transition? Um, and and is General Mills involved in that role? Um, is is there a role for General Mills to play in investing in that transition? And then obviously we have to ask ourselves as systems thinkers: Is that even the, the change that we want to see? Um, and so there is there's, there's there's a lot of question marks at the big scale and on the little scale of what is the what is the right path to an economic return and a landscape. Uh, return that is equitable and and there's there's that we're, work we're as an organization playing in, in kind of both of those realms in, in that we we're, we're trying to find the right mix on the local level on the bioregional level um, and then the right mix also on the large scale um, and th- we don't necessarily know the answer to all the questions um, obviously but um, we're trying to figure that out I think it's a very tough thing. Um, the an investor and, and if an investor, if you're looking at uh, the land versus say the um, the metery, um, the the investor might be interested in both, depending on their goals, right? So they might be interested in the metery if their goals are more of a a short shorter term, higher yield. Investment because the meter is going to be churning through product, delivering some sort of profit margin year over year, say for ten years, right? Um, and and that that investor on the local scale is going to want to see some level of, of return that at least gets them to break even in a shorter period of time. On a land-based investment, if you're setting it up like a like a reit, um, it has a longer term. It has more of that bond-based um, longevity to it. But in inside of When you have a lot of investors all invested in this landscape, there's a a market is created where if you want to create a liquidity event and sell your shares to other investors, it becomes a viable way of sharing wealth within the structure of that market. So um, there's still the investors like liquidity. um, I think that's the most important thing um, that when you're looking at them putting their money in the landscape, there needs to be some level of liquidity planning. Um, for them to be able to then pull their money out um, and the really the only way to do that in a regenerative fashion that we've found is there needs to be some sort of a market where where an investor can then sell their shares to other investors within that with within the ownership structures of the land base um, right and we I mean we technically can you know
0: bring this right down to the the herd share model um. And people do this all the time where, you know, they have 24 shares of milk and you buy into a share and there's like a fee, you know, and maybe, and they don't necessarily, you don't necessarily sell your share to other people, that responsibility is not um, put upon you, but it it certainly could. I mean, there are times where people are like, yeah, well, you got to find someone else to take over your lease or to take over this or take over that. So it's, it's in a way similar absolutely so we just need to figure out how to get it to be localized and I mean the reality is we might end up creating several tiers in this market where we have a micro investor market where people have subscription models for investment and I mean if you think about it that's what those like need clubs and wide clubs are There's subs CSAs and there's subscription investors uh, and they get something out of it. It's not they don't get capital out of it. They might get something else, um, but they're investing in that business.
1: So the same thing. The same thing goes for a large company as well. Um, a large company, if they if take a, a good example, this might be Hazelnuts. Um, there's a Ferrero Rocher just invested a boatload of money in hazelnut production in in Canada. Um, because the global hazelnut market in Turkey is, is decreasing, there there's a um, there, there, poor, due to poor management, there's been kind of a, uh, a little bit of a decrease in the supply, so they feel that their supply chain's at risk. So as a result, they're putting in this money to invest in hazelnuts in Canada. And that, that, that same type of mindset can also apply in the same way that you're talking where a company would be willing to, you know, in essence, in pre-order or, or invest in the plant matter that a farmer will to incentivize the farmer to grow that thing that will eventually be their supply in five, six, 10 years, depending on the perennial crop or the annual crop um, that they're looking to, to get. Um, so, that market lever that you're talking about, that subscription market lever works both on the micro as well as the macro. Um, yeah
0: superb. Well I'm super excited I, I want to check in with you again later as, as this develops so that people can continue to get inspired and we can continue talking about this and and, and, and reach more people and spread the understanding because it is hard it is a difficult difficult concept um, hopefully uh, my my simplifications and metaphors didn't muddy
1: anything um, hopefully they no clarifying. I was gonna say, I, I think it's important to know that it's the most important part of this process is resilience um, for everybody. I mean, like the it's nothing. Nothing is gonna change overnight. Um, it's not we're not trying to we're not we're not building technology. Um, we're not building software that's going to re- revamp the whole uh, way our, our our cars work. Um, we're we're trying to regenerate landscapes, and that takes time. Everyone everyone who's in this world knows that. Um, so it's important that we stay resilient on that and and and, and know that those values are are, are uh, important and they're they're right. I agree with that Wow that's a great place to end it. Thank you so much,
0: jeremy thanks, Matt. have a wonderful weekend um that's coming up real soon and yeah you too and thank you so much for for you know spending the time to you know teach us and teach me. <laughs> about about these concepts. I, I grew up very much on the edge of this world trying not to listen in because <laughs> um, I, I grew up around people who all, were all determined to be in business um, and their parents were all in business and so it's funny now that now I'm I'm, I'm eagerly studying it and trying to figure out how to um, partner with it and how to enhance it and it's 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 a humbling experience. Um, and it's funny how ironic life is, right?
1: Yeah, you know, um, as, a, as Darren would say, the, clim- the climate of the mind is, is the hardest thing to change.
0: Oh, very good, I've heard him say that. Is so true, so true. I was actually, uh, you know, I was quoting him this morning. Uh, darren j doherty i was quoting him this morning um, during uh i was talking about the key line key point key line design because a lot of people are very confused about that's another thing where uh, embracing complexity is often difficult uh, because key line geometry is hard (laughs) especially initially when you don't uh, haven't played with land a bit so thank you so much we'll be checking with you again and have a great, have a great weekend, and keep keep doing what you're doing. We are we are very excited, and I know my audience is excited, and we look forward to the changes you will make.
1: Thanks, Matt, and I want to say thanks to all the listeners um, who are, because um, without without everybody who's involved, um, the movement wouldn't be moving. Absolutely. Have a good one. You too. Bye.
0: What's going on? We're at the cusp of a moment. This could go huge. We could be, We could be flipping land that was desertifying into land that's now sequestering carbon, land that's actually making someone money, making uh, a business money, making investors money and getting jobs there to young people, spreading populations out to so population you know density, you know, the overpopulation problem that we're really having. Uh, gets lessened. All these different sorts of things, we're, we're, we got to make these things happen. Uh, and this is this is one conversation where we explore those ideas. I hope it inspires some conversations in your life uh, because I hope also that this podcast acts as a prompt. So I'm not, you know, trying to be the authority. I'm not trying to tell you what to do, what you have to do. I'm suggesting, you know, we check out these ideas, we see what other people are finding success with, and we, we try to emulate their goals. Because their goals are what we want too. We want a strong future. Well, that means we need to build the soil. We need to be eating more perennials and annuals. You know, how we do that, how we you know, manage these things, that's really up to our own creativity and drive and our freedom of expression its beautiful. And we'll see so much of that in more and more as craftsmanship returns. But don't think that any of this is you know, set in stone. This is all starting right now. These are conversations that are ever evolving, changing. You can participate in this. You can go out and change the world right now. You can have your community be catalyzed behind your ideas. You could create something new. So don't feel held back. Push forward, the new day is arriving, regenerative economy is coming. From an abundant future with Matt Powers, have an awesome.